This is The Guardian. Today, has Vladimir Putin launched a gas war against Europe? Russia's war on Ukraine is being fought with guns and fast jets and shells. But Moscow has another weapon in its arsenal. We start in Ukraine, where President Volodymyr Zelensky has accused Russia of waging a gas war against Europe. Well, the conflict in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia have led to another surge in the cost of oil and gas. So I think it's funny because, you know, when most of us think of gas, we think about turning on the hob. We don't really think about where it comes from or, or how it's got there. More than a third of all the gas used in Europe comes from Russia, used to heat homes and power factories in Germany, Italy, France, and across the continent. We've long been concerned about Russia using energy as a tool of coercion and a political weapon. We've seen it happen before, and we could see it happen again. Putin knows Europe needs the gas. And he holds the cards. Russian President Vladimir Putin says that starting from Friday, foreign buyers must pay for gas in the Russian currency. I've signed a decree today that sets the rules of the Russian natural gas trade with so-called unfriendly states. And over the past two weeks, he started squeezing supply to Europe's biggest pipeline. Fears of a winter without gas in Europe as Russian energy giant Gazprom begins its summer maintenance program. The Russian firm Gazprom announced it would be further cutting gas supplies through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany to 20%. That is half the current rate. The most important pipeline that we're talking about here is the Nord Stream 1, which is this vast, nearly 1,000-kilometre pipeline that goes underneath the Baltic Sea, arriving in northern Germany, where it travels on its way there to businesses and homes across Europe. The flow of gas through one of the continent's key energy lifelines was last week reduced to 40% of its capacity. And then today, down to 20%. Russia says it's all routine. It just needs to make repairs. But Europe doesn't see it that way. Russia is blackmailing us. Russia is using energy as a weapon. And the most vulnerable country of all to these threats is Europe's biggest economy, and it's not overblown to say that this could be a Lehman Brothers moment for Germany and the wider European economy if, if Russia turns off the gas taps. Europe has so far thrown its support behind Ukraine, training Ukrainian forces, sending the country weapons and imposing sanctions on Russia. And it's held the line even as the cost of food and fuel has gone up. Now, with winter only months away, Moscow wants to see just how much Europe is willing to sacrifice. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, what happens if Russia cuts off gas to Europe? Alex Lawson, you're The Guardian's energy correspondent, and we're in the middle of a heatwave in Europe. But what's been happening over the past couple of weeks that's got people very concerned about the winter? Yes, it seems strange to be sweltering these temperatures and be talking about wrapping up warm this winter and making every move we can to uh, conserve our, our energy. But what's happened is a, a sort of series of energy brinkmanship moments from Vladimir Putin, turning down 
gas supplies to various countries like uh, Italy and, uh, and Austria and Greece, uh, and in some cases shutting off uh, supplies altogether. President Putin stands accused tonight of blackmailing European countries over supplies of Russian gas. In a further wider escalation of the conflict in Ukraine, Russia has got off gas supplies to Poland and also to Bulgaria. Countries like Poland and Bulgaria refused to pay for their gas in rubles at the start of the war, which is a big demand that came from Russia and, and more specifically from Gazprom, which is the state-owned gas supplier. And when you say brinksmanship, what do you mean? What exactly has Vladimir Putin been doing and saying? He has been reducing the amount of gas that flows through the various pipelines from Russia into Europe. So not switching them off entirely, but turning it down, you know, sowing the seeds of, of panic and the idea that, hey, we could turn off this gas at any moment and you'd be in a very difficult situation. So Putin said, we're hearing some crazy ideas about restricting the volumes of Russian oil and capping the Russian oil price. The result would be the same, a rise in prices, prices will skyrocket. So, you know, obviously we're talking about gas here, but it's important to say that Europe is trying to move away from all Russian fossil fuels and Putin is trying to lay out what the impact of that will be and essentially scare European citizens and European governments. That's interesting because he isn't outright threatening to cut off gas and oil. He's just making this statement which Europe is reading between the lines about. Yes. And so the reason that this has come to a head this week is that that key Nord Stream 1 pipeline uh, was shut down for planned maintenance. Russian gas has started flowing again through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline after 10 days of maintenance work. But the German government has sped up efforts to find alternative sources of energy, wary that Russia might turn off the tap for good. When gas flows resumed through Nord Stream 1 after the 10 days of maintenance, they resumed at just 40% of the normal capacity. So the there's a very clear message there that, you know, don't expect normality through this uh, key pipeline. Dan Boffy, you're The Guardian's Brussels bureau chief, and people quite rightly are anxious about how Europe would cope if Russia cut off gas. What's the mood like in the EU capital over that? very nervous. There's a lot of fractiousness, in fact. The Commission, for example, proposed their 15% cut in the use of Russian gas between August and March over the winter period. We are asking the member states to reduce by 15% the gas consumption. The quicker we act, the more we save, the safer we are. They said, look, we'll have to do this because we're likely to have less Russian gas. And also it's part of withdrawing our dependency on Russian gas. The member states can't agree on that. They're scrapping over it because each member state has its own sort of peculiar vulnerability to Russian energy. Interesting, because we have to think that part of Putin's plan here is to try to pressure Europe, to try to split it. And from what you're saying, that's already beginning to work. I'm afraid I think it is. Putin did a statement, he sort of directly addressed the people of Europe. And he said, your governments are telling you that what you're facing in terms of energy bills and the cost of living crisis is because of evil Russians invading Ukraine. It's not at all. It's actually because of your elites making wrong decisions. What does Gazprom have to do with this? They closed one pipeline for scheduled maintenance. The other pipeline was closed because of sanctions. Gazprom is ready to pump as much gas as is necessary. It's the West that is imposing these obstacles. They're doing the same thing with oil and petroleum products. Gazprom has always fulfilled and will continue to fulfill all of its obligations. It's our partners who are trying to shift the blame for their own mistakes onto Gazprom without any justification. 
he's trying to stir it up. Mm. And I'm afraid the fissures within the EU27, they've always been there, they always will be there. It's a rambunctious democracy. And I'm afraid that they are growing. The sort of solidarity we had in the opening stage, February, March, April, May of the war, is not quite there. On Monday last week, Joseph Borrell, the EU's High Representative for Foreign Affairs, said that he had leaders saying to him, look, all this action we're taking, okay, you can see the point of a lot of it, but now aren't we harming ourselves in really breaking down the economic ties with Russia, making life too difficult for ourselves? And Dan, it's still summer, so I can imagine as the weather gets colder, as the cost of energy increases, that pressure is only going to increase too. We already can see the impact in the politics. Mario Draghi in Italy's resigned. He resigned because he couldn't get a package through on the cost of living, on energy costs, because his coalition partner said it wasn't strong enough, wasn't big enough. Within the past hour or so, Italy's Prime Minister Mario Draghi has resigned after his government coalition splintered. His resignation has been accepted by the country's president. France, the French government said they're going to nationalise EDF, their big energy provider. And that's a big leftist move. And that's because Macron's lost his legislative majority in the parliament and he doesn't have the autonomy he did have. In Germany, Olaf Scholz is a terrible position in the polls and there are tensions within his government with the Greens because he's having to fire up 16 dormant fossil fuel plants and extend the operating permission for 11 more. You know, this is not where he wants to be. So yes, it's extremely concerning. It's going to get worse. Alex, I have to admit, I was surprised to learn that Europe was so dependent on Russia just for its basic functioning, its daily life. Can you give us a sense of just how dependent the continent is on Russian gas and how they've reacted to these cryptic threats from Vladimir Putin? Generally speaking, the further east you go in Europe, the more dependent upon Russian gas the countries are because of that physical link through these huge pipelines that connect Russia into Europe. Now, since the start of the war in Ukraine, countries have been trying to reduce their reliance on Russian oil and gas as a political move to choke off the Russian economy. Countries have made some progress so far. Italy, for example, has reduced its dependence on Russian gas down to 25% to 40% of its total consumption. Germany's gone from about 55% down to 35%. And there's hope that they can cut that figure even further. But, you know, there's a there's a practical sense that they, they can't reduce it down to zero for this winter. And you said that Putin had been making these threats that have sparked so much anxiety in Europe. But would he actually do it? Like, do we think he would actually cut off Europe from Russian gas? That's the uh, that's the multi-billion dollar question, isn't it, Michael? That, that no one but one man knows the answer to that question, but it's, it's, it's a very important one. So Russia's actually used gas as a political weapon for much of the last two decades on and off, perhaps most notably in the wake of the invasion of Georgia in 2008. They reduced supply to a whole host of countries, Germany, France, Poland, all all sorts cuts, but they were quite fleeting. Again, this flared up about five years ago with Ukraine cutting uh, gas supplies there. But I think one of the main reasons that Europe has slept walked into this situation where it's become vulnerable to the Kremlin cutting off gas supplies is is because supplies were never cut through the Cold War. And Hmm. you can't underestimate how the fact that the gas supplies were never cut off in such a tense situation has led to a complacency right across the energy industry, right across the political sphere, that the Kremlin would never turn to this tactic. 
And so what happens if Putin does go there and shuts the gas off? What does that look like? So there's a principle in the energy industry whereby you protect the consumer at all costs. So the idea is to stagger it to have businesses take the hit first, then turns to consumers after that. So what we'd see is certain businesses being given priority, things like bakeries, schools, police stations, hospitals. But for the average household, they might have to be told to ration their use of hot water. You know, hamburgers already said its citizens may face that this winter. Things like municipal swimming pools, the heat might have to be turned down or turned off. In the most extreme scenarios, there may be blackout. So it it looks grim. I think what's worth saying is that it's different for different countries. So if the gas is cut off, some of the first users to really notice this will be energy intensive industries, things like chemical makers, uh, fertilizer makers. Germany is a huge manufacturing economy. It's the largest economy in Europe. Uh, So those heavy industrial users, they will be asked by the government to turn down their usage in certain cases, shut down plants. And the impact of that is likely to be a recession in, in Germany, which is bad news for the whole of Europe. And Alex, in the face of this threat, with only a few months until the weather starts getting colder, is there any way that Europe can find another supply of gas? Yes, there is, but it comes at a price. So the most obvious way is to increase imports of liquefied natural gas, uh, which we get from places like America. And there's been a massive ramp up in LNG imports into Europe since the start of the conflict in Ukraine. But the problem is that uh, Germany in particular does not have the facilities at its ports to to process it. So whilst they've got ambitions to do that, they can't uh, at the moment. The other thing that we've seen since the start of this crisis is people turning back towards fossil fuels. So in Germany, they've restarted some of the coal plants. We've done the same in the UK. We've asked coal plants that are due to shut down to stay open for this winter as a backup to other supplies like gas from the North Sea and from Norway. We've got a certain amount of nuclear as well in our in our system, as well as renewable energy. So yeah, the old King Coal has sort of reared his head again, despite the ambitions of European nations to move away from coal in the long term to tackle climate change. Alex, listening to this, one of the things that I find kind of shocking is how countries like Germany have allowed themselves to be so dependent on a country like Russia and vulnerable to these kinds of threats. How did we get to this point where Europe relied for so much of its fuel on a country with which it's had a pretty troubled relationship? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a sort of open distrust of Russia for a long time, whilst at the same time, taking large amounts of oil and gas because it suited us and because it was there for the taking. So to look at Germany in particular, who've admitted that they were naive in becoming so reliant on um, Russian gas in particular, uh, we have to look back way back to the 70s. And there was a very strong anti-nuclear movement uh, in the wake of the accident at Three Mile Island in the US. It was the first step in a nuclear nightmare. A government official said that a breakdown in an atomic power plant in Pennsylvania today is probably the worst nuclear reactor accident to date. And of course, we saw... Chernobyl after that, and Ukraine, and then later Fukushima. Uh, And they added up to see Germany move it away from nuclear and turn its back on it. 
I think there's been a mere culpa from German politicians about how reliant they become on uh, Russian gas supplies. It's worth noting that there is a sister pipeline to Nord Stream 1, the Nord Stream 2, which was due to come into production this spring. However, Germany suspended that program at the start of the war. Breaking news on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Joe had just mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, The German chancellor saying his country will indefinitely stop the certification of the pipeline following Russian action on Ukraine. This is very, very important because Nord Stream 2 Again, that was supposed to deliver another sort of 55 million barrels of of cubic meters of gas per year. So a huge supply into Europe. And um, that project looks dead in the water uh, at the moment. And over the past few weeks, we've been hearing a lot of advice about how to cut energy use, like turning off your lights, stacking dishwashers more efficiently, putting insulation in your house. Now European governments are being asked to try to cut their energy use by 15% across the board ahead of winter. How are they planning to do that? What's happening now is that lots of ideas are sort of being put out there, like reducing your hot water usage. In Germany, they've even talked about putting speed limits onto the autobahn, the German motorways, to reduce fuel usage. So in certain areas, you can actually go as fast as you like. But uh, you know, if they say, okay, you can only go at a certain speed, clearly that will make the cars more efficient. The ideas are being put out there with the idea that if they have to turn to them, consumers sort of have an idea of what they might be asked to do. I mean, the International Energy Agency has said if all European citizens turn down their thermostat by one degree this winter, we could really reduce the reliance on Russian gas and clearly cut energy usage and be better for the environment at the same time. But really, I think the game changers are going to be what industry does. So finding support packages for big manufacturers to ask them to reduce their usage. So, you know, we saw in the UK how effective schemes like the furlough scheme were in the COVID situation. Can countries like Germany and Italy draw up economic plans to support uh, businesses in times of hardship? And what about the UK? How dependent is it on Russian gas? So the short answer is that the UK is directly not that reliant on Russian gas. Before the war, it only made up about 4% of our energy mix. However, we are exposed to the knock-on effects of the gas supplies being turned down or in the worst case scenario, completely off in a few ways. Firstly, in terms of price. So electricity prices are set uh, related to the wholesale price of gas. We've seen those uh, prices at unprecedented highs this summer for, for the summer months. The worry is that that will continue into the winter. At the moment in the UK, it's forecast that bills are going to be above £3,000 per year from October. People are worrying that that might even break £4,000 by wow, early next God. year. Now, the message from officials at the moment in the UK is we're in a good position. We're, we're not expecting to have blackouts this winter. We're not expecting any shortages. However, if bills go up or if, uh, for example, Norway, where we pipe a lot of our gas in from, decides to take a better offer from another country and, and pipe gas supplies to, to them instead, then Britain could be in a, in a vulnerable position. And you said at the beginning that this was an example of Russia cutting off its nose to spite its face, that this sort of thing would hurt Europe, but it's also going to hurt Russian businesses. So like, how much does that factor into Vladimir Putin's thinking? Like, How much can he really do this without Russians feeling the blowback? I think it will be 
very difficult to completely insulate Russians from this. However, you know, there's large demand for energy supplies across the world. So for oil, let's say China and India have um, stepped in to take some of the Russian oil that Europe has now shunned. And there's concerns about limiting of gas supplies to Japan. So it's not just Europe that will be feeling the effects of this. But at the same time, Russia can look at other options, particularly in the long term, to pipe its gas elsewhere and export oil to different markets. Coming up, will this be the crisis that finally weans Europe off of Russian energy? Dan Boffy, when you look across Europe, do you see unity there? Or is the EU starting to see countries breaking away from the consensus on how to handle this energy threat from Russia? Well, yes, in Hungary, Viktor Orban, the right-wing nationalist prime minister, he's voted through all the sanctions stuff. But for example, on Russian oil prohibition, that's due to come in sort of the end of the year. He's got an exemption for that, as a Slovakia. And while the European Union and Brussels are saying, right, let's cut our use of Russian gas, last week, Orban sent his foreign minister to Moscow to increase the amount of Russian gas. Siarto said the purpose of his visit was to guarantee Budapest's energy supply and to make clear that the Hungarian government is interested in peace. The purchase of an additional 700 million cubic metres of natural gas on top of the contracts already signed is needed to ensure the country's energy security in the coming months. And if Hungary is to get away with that, then other countries will say, let's back our interests on other things. And that's when you don't get the unanimity on the big questions, the big issues of the day. And then the EU becomes impotent in the face of Russian game playing. And you've talked about how this is already weakening European resolve on things like sanctions against Russia. What about the effect on their support for the war in Ukraine? I think actually, in terms of military support, Germany has been a problem throughout this. (laughs) I famously write at the beginning when Ukraine was calling out for guns and long-range missiles and all the rest of it, the Germans handed in a load of helmets, much to Kyiv's absolute dismay and fury. Are you getting enough help from the Germans? Is uh, is joke. What's a joke? To instead the weapons, defensive weapons, we receive five thousand helps. Five thousand helmets. Hel- five thousand helmets. So Jimmy's always been hanging back. They claimed to have sent on really good hardware, but never really sort of materialised. I don't think actually across the European Union, if you look a bit further afield, I don't think there's any let up in the determination to send as many arms as possible to Ukraine from the countries that have them. In Poland, Slovakia, arrangements have been done to send fighter jets. UK has upped its game, actually. And the European Union itself agreed on another 500 million euros in terms of military aid. So I don't see the problem in terms of providing military hardware, I think that's going to continue to flow. Never as much as Ukraine requires, sadly, I don't think. Alex, you've said that one of the ways that countries are dealing with this threat is turning to fossil fuels like coal, making sure that their coal power plants are still able to operate if necessary. And I'm wondering, what kind of impact will this crisis have on efforts by Europe to transition to renewable energy, this this other threat that hangs over Europe of, of climate change and all of the kind of climate chaos that'll come with it? 
It's absolutely fascinating because I think there's a possibility here that we might take one step back and five steps forward in the climate transition as a result of this. You know, people on the street are now talking about energy supplies. People are understanding how the industry works and starting to think about uh, energy security, which is a massive phrase in political circles right now is, you know, can countries rely on their own sources of energy that they solely generate themselves? Now, that is usually to, uh, dependent on your geography. For example, in the UK, you know, we have plenty of windy conditions, uh, particularly in the North Sea. And that's why we've seen a big drive towards offshore wind development. So, you know, each country will have a different uh, scenario in terms of their renewable plan. In the short term, they're going to turn to things like coal to get us through this winter, but it sharpens the focus on how you're going to switch to renewables. And and can you do that? You know, can it be self-contained? Can you do it in your own country? Alex, listening to this makes me think that what's going on now, these threats to cut off gas, they're a potent tactic from Russia, but strategically, they're a bit short-sighted because Moscow's guaranteeing that eventually Europe will wean itself off this very problematic supply of fuel. I mean, you said Germany had already cancelled this Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And if that happens, Russia loses energy as a source of leverage over Europe. Yeah, there's an irony, isn't there, that, you know, Europe is at the moment very worried about a cutoff in Russian gas, but at the same time, governments are stating that they want to phase out Russian supplies for political reasons, as well as, uh, you know, trying to choke off Russia's economy. So in the long term, the ambition is there. It's just a a timing thing in the short term. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, Russia could end up losing out from this. If the number of countries that need your supplies goes down, then the cost could go down for your end product. So that would make sense. The other thing worth noting is that Europe has turned to other countries like Azerbaijan, countries in the Middle East, for other supply deals for oil and gas. So, you know, if Russia switches off the gas taps, there are other sources that can be turned to. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Alex Lawson, The Guardian's energy correspondent. Thank you so much to him, as well as to Dan Boffey, The Guardian's Brussels bureau chief. You can read all their coverage of Europe's efforts to get off Russian gas at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Katena and Courtney Youssef. Sound design was by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Casson. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.